Welcome to the lectionary call-in for Tuesday, October 4th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the gospel lectionary for the coming Sunday, and this Sunday is October 9th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and of course, for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, it's 5.30 a.m. And our little team is working to be faithful to lectionary year C. That puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday, and we hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the lead-off person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Charles Willard. <laughs> Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, Florida. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. And I'm Don Upton, and I'm in Columbus, Ohio today. And our lead-off person who's going to guide us through the questions is Sarah Mickelson. Hello, my friend. You doing well today? Good morning, everyone. What a difference a week makes. Our hearts just go out to the families and the, those that it were impacted by Hurricane Ian um, and uh, and are grateful this morning for the opportunity to come together again. Uh, we're in the book of Luke. We're in chapter 17. Um, last week we started that chapter and we're going to continue it. Uh, we're looking at verses 11 through 19 this morning, um, starting with verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And that ends our reading. Interesting. So my questions um, are, are, are three that have uh, something to do with uh, a couple of different elements that are in this particular um, passage. Jesus is traveling the border between Samaria and Galilee. While not the most expedient way to Jerusalem, Jesus, Luke offers it to us as valuable. What borders does Jesus and might we encounter in this story that have relevance today? That's question one. Question two, in verses 14 and 15, Jesus mentioned, excuse me, Luke mentions Jesus saw, and the one who returned in gratitude saw. What do you make of this? Question three, 10 went to show the priest And when he saw he was healed, one turned back in gratitude, a Samaritan. Why do you think this one turned back to thank Jesus? 
those are my three questions. So I'm going to go back to question number one, which is Jesus is traveling the border between Samaria and Galilee. While not the most expedient way to Jerusalem, Luke offers it up as valuable. What borders does Jesus and might we encounter in this story that have relevance for us today? What do you think, Bill? Um, Clara, uh, this concept of being in between, I think, is powerful. Here it's Samaria and Galilee, to take it uh, literally. And I'm, my team members and I suspect all those who view and listen to this podcast know that this issue about geography, about religion, about physical condition is the in-out, who's in and who's out, depending on one one's perspective. Uh, it's interesting um, that Luke, and I think it's important, it says Jesus is traveling. You, your question is Jesus is traveling the border between Samaria and Galilee. Um, uh, Mark Davis had an interesting comment, and I'll read his sentence literally. There is something arresting. Uh, by the way, the back story to this is only one of these is identified as a Samaritan. The others may have been, but only one of the ten. Mark Davis says there is something arresting about the idea that the leprosy that these men shared might have been reason enough to make a community of both Galileans and Samaritans. Now, we don't know that, but it's an interesting uh, concept that adversity, um, such as, sadly, the aftermath of Ian, uh, people come together for community who might otherwise not. It's an interesting thought. Um, I also was taken by Debbie Thomas's article on this. I didn't know this about her. Her parents immigrated to America from India, and in her articles, she talks about her father's sensitivity about being an immigrant into uh, America. And uh, she was a child, so that didn't have as much impact as when she and her parents traveled back to India, and they encountered uh, modern-day uh, lepers. And I'll just read a, a selected phrases from her article. She said this experience, I believe it was at a train station, of seeing these lepers literally set apart and isolated. She said it was as if some invisible barrier, solid as granite, separated them the lepers in India from the rest of humanity, rendering them wholly untouchable. Yes, their disease frightened me, but what frightened me much more was their isolation, their not belonging. They lived in a no man's land, a region between. And she talks about how the gospel is about dealing with people who are living in between. And she says, so when Jesus heals their leprosy, he does not merely cure their bodies. He restores their belongings. Uh, powerful 
uh, imagery. And I think it's uh, symbolic of our time, the issues of immigration, the political climate, uh, who's the enemy, who's in our in-group, the whole uh, atmosphere of anger and dismissiveness and demeaning. And it reminded me, Sarah, of a sermon I I read decades ago. Uh, The title was something like The God of In-Between. And the thesis of the sermon was we most often meet God in the places in our lives when we are in between, in between life and death, in between joy and sorrow, success, failure, intimacy, uh, alienation. Uh, That stuck with me, that God is met in wherever those in-between places are. The, The... I'll conclude with this comment. Uh, at some, this is the thought I had this morning in our pre-conversation, Sarah. I told you you had stimulated another. Twice in the English translation, the verb go is used. In verse 14, Jesus tells the ten lepers, go and show yourselves to the priests, which was a part of the restoration. But then we need to hear the further message that Jesus returned, uh, gave to the uh, leper who did come back. He said, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Elsewhere, Jesus tells a man, take up your bed and walk. In the 12-step program, there's the need to recognize a higher power, the recovery process, gratitude, and then step 12 is carry the message to others so that one doesn't get stuck in, uh, if I may put it this way, in the gratitude, which is a good thing. We'll say more about it later. But that healing means get up and go. <laughs> Take up your bed and walk. Uh, live the the freedom that you have been granted. So I think this detail of the border between Samaria and Galilee is very rich. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome, Bill. It made me think about um, which is more difficult, being healed or living as healed. Um, Don, what are your thoughts? The sweet meditation on relationships. Thank you for your question. A lot of folks who listen in are preparing to facilitate a class or moderated discussion group, and this question has no end. I bet there's probably a hundred orders. If you were writing down on a whiteboard or something that people would come up in. So for the listeners, I follow, follow Sarah's lead. I bet there's a hundred of them, and that's a great way to look at this literature. So I was thinking about what is rel- your, your point, is what's relevant for today, and what struck me was that borders – do create communities, kind of to your point, Bill. Uh, borders also separate communities. And then regulations and codes create communities too. And that's behind the scenes here. It's, it's, it, there's borders and point borders upon borders, and regulations and codes create borders. And regulations and codes also create gateways and communities. They go both ways. Uh, you want to create a new gateway or a bridge into a city, you have to, to have to take a vote, you have to raise the money and be intentional. And all of a sudden, people are present at the gateway. 
uh, requires a code and a, and a rule and money. And so I think there's something here for us in every possible way in this meditation. Uh, I also think uh, this week I, there's been a lot of discussion because of some new literature about the training for civil disobedience during the civil rights movement in the 20th century in America. There's a lot of discussion of that and, and returning to the lunch counter scene where those who were present sitting at the counters have been well-trained in the codes of personal dignity and learning the rules and the regulations that divide us and how to deal with those. They have their own rules and codes in order to be in, be in intentional conflict with the regulations, but they're human beings, right? And, but you cannot look at a lunch counter with civil disobedience taking place without looking at the photographs or being present and seeing a human being sitting there and knowing that they're code upon code, border upon border that creates that setting. And I think this image uh, it really connects to this piece of gospel where these 10 people <laughs> This is two people there, but boy, eyeball to eyeball, we see, we don't see. Do you really see me? Uh, takes me back to this one of those beautiful pictures of, uh, I mean, beautiful and the painful beauty of the lunch counter pictures. The border that, that I wanted to raise today was one related to time and reflection. Because uh, we've, been, we've been through this year after year after year uh, on the three-year cycle. And uh, I think there is a border that's right behind the scenes on actually knowing what the dependencies and the catalysts are for our lives, one, one returns. And the suggestion is that something happened that allowed him or circumstances allowed him to pause and to go back in time. Then that's go far back in time, maybe a few minutes, maybe an hour. But when he comes back and he sees and Jesus sees, which is another one of your questions, I think there's an understanding of the dependency there. That life will go on, but he pauses and he goes back. And there is there's the gospel. He remembers. Even, I'd like to say, five minutes later he remembers. And that has to be singled out. I remember, there he is. Everything depends on whatever this catalyst was that took place in me. Everything depends on my dependency on this man. And so I remember I was restored. I am thankful. I go see him. And then that journey, there is a renewal. So there's the table of Christ. There's the memory of Christ. There's the memory of Christ on earth. And on highlight, this man is in history. I see him 2,000 years. I see him 2,000 years in time. Where are the other ones? I don't see them. They're gone. But I see him because he went back in time, and he remembered. So I see the table, and I see the grace of Christ there as well. Those are my thoughts. Wow, great stuff, Charles. What are your thoughts? Remember to unmute. That was my first thought. Uh, my second thought is that uh, I think that we have to recognize that that this is this is a unique occurrence uh, in as reported in the in the Gospels. There are the other four Gospels, the other three Gospels 
do not have this story. And for that reason, there's no there's no way that we can compare it as we can with some of the other, uh, most of the other narratives, many of the other narratives, however you want to frame it, uh, they, they, they work. And so I asked myself, what is, what is this particularly telling us here? And I have, I have some odd answers. I'm not sure why, why the focus is on this Samaritan. Well, I mean, I can understand why, because he's, he's, he's the odd man out. As far as we know, there were not other Samaritans in the, the, among the villagers, I mean, among the, the, uh, the ten. And so we have this one that, is, that stands out, stands out because, well, he stands out, first of all, because he has leprosy. And he stands out, second of all, because he was accepted by other lepers where in any other context, he, he would not have been accepted uh, because he was a foreigner. Uh, we've experienced other uh, examples of what happens when a Samaritan shows up. You know, that, that person is disdained. The Samaritan is not disdained in this one because he shares with them a, a, a like difficulty, a like disability, namely they have, uh, they have leprosy. Um, I find it well without trying to figure out all of the ins and outs of the mechanics and the processes by which somebody who has leprosy or who has been declared leprous um, in the villages uh, and in effect just, just shut out they're invited back. Um, it's it's Luke doesn't then go and make more about the fact that it was only this leper, uh, that was this, uh, this 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 Samaritan that came back. Although he makes a great a great point of it, um, I think it's remarkable, and uh, that the lepers found compa- company and relationships among other lepers uh, in, in circumstances that in any other circumstance would have been unthinkable. I mean, they just, it just would not have happened. And this is one place where the lepers were able to get together uh, and overcame uh, their barriers, which had been, would, would have been with them uh, for a lifetime. Stopping. You know, I'm kind of agreeing with you, Charles. Um, one of the, commentators I read lifted up the idea of a minion, a congregational quorum of ten, being something that would be used to define a community in Israel. Now, in the hard and fast terms, it's ten Jewish people, men, over the age of 13, who could be used to define that community. But in this case, it looks like they created a community of ten themselves, based around the idea of their common disease, or dis-ease, I should say. So I find that very interesting, Um, the idea of of walking us through a borderland that asks us to consider who is foreign, the well people or the ill people. 
the Samaritans or the Galileans. Um, it asks us to consider prejudices and stereotypes that have lived with us, that have lived in these stories. Um, it asks us to consider expectations of behavior. There was a, a specific prescribed behavior that if you were pronounced a leper, you had to follow. You had to wear clothing that was deteriorating. You had to yell out unclean when you encountered anyone that was well so that they would not come in contact with you. Um, so this interesting, I guess, um, confederacy of ten who are perhaps not alike in many ways found community or safety as a group of ten. Um, something to be said for that. Um, so I, I kind of fall back onto it made me think about how we coped with COVID. When COVID was emerging, it made me think about how we learned and coped with AIDS as AIDS was emerging in my lifetime. Um, and, and the diseases that were considered life-threatening to um, the majority of community suddenly pushed people into groupings that were um, by necessity for their safety. Um, you know, when you're you're sick with COVID, I'm, I'm looking at how every every country responded somewhat differently, and how people were isolated. Children were taken from parents. Parents were put away in in different places. Children were, in some cases, put in hotel rooms. This this idea of we didn't know what that what that illness would bring or how much threat that would pose to the community. So I think it asks us to consider isolation. It asks us to talk about contagion. It asks us to come to a conversation about restoration. How do you know when you're well? I mean, that's a huge question in this particular story. And how would we know we were well if we were cleaned from COVID? You know, how many, how many tests do you have to take before you can be around other people again? How many days of negative testing? So I, it makes me think about how we'll respond to the next contagion that emerges as being threatening to large swaths of people. Um, I think that, that we as Christians are asked to live in the borderlands and be the resilient um, sticky stuff that connects people together. Um, that may or may not pose a threat to us from a health perspective. It may or may not throw the pose a threat to us from a theological perspective, but we're asked to live in that land and, and find connection. So um, I think that borders are and borderlands are really interesting in this, in, you know, it would be a great study to talk about when does Jesus go into borderlands and what do they look like? What stories come from the borderlands? Um, so maybe that's a theological master's thesis waiting to be written, but um Something interesting about that for me. Um, question number two. In verses 14 and 15, Luke mentions that Jesus saw. And then the one who returned in gratitude saw. What do you make of this? And it led me down a path of the difference between seeing and understanding. Recognition and identification. 
So, um, what do you make? What do you make of this, Don? I don't know if they. I, I'm trained as an attorney. I don't know if they saw the same fact pattern at all. But there's an overlap here, which is the work of the Christ. That there is a there's something in the Venn diagram that comes together that they actually see the same thing, which allows the one man to go back in time, whether it's five minutes or two hours to meditate upon what took place. There's a catalyst in his life and it matters the most and he's going to go back and see it. So I, I think, uh, kind of go back to my answer to the first question, seeing each other has something to do with the others disappearing into history, but the center of the story is this one man who's here for 2000 years to emphasize that Jesus saw them. He saw Jesus and when you see something, I think it's connected to the literature. You see and you record it. Uh, he marks it in his life. That, that things happen to me and I've lost them in time. But when I mark them in a certain way, it's usually is about returning, speaking to someone, remembering. Then, it's, then it's, in, it's in me and I can tell it. And so by going back, he sees and he's... It's recorded in history. Uh, the author of Luke records it because he saw and he went back. He took action on the scene. It's documented. Also, when you see, to make it live on, you have to be a storyteller. So there's a lot of storytelling here. This story's probably been told, you know, Charles will tell us, a long time before this gospel was written, maybe in pieces and other writings, and it comes together here. So it's been told and told and told. That's because they saw Seeing comes first. The catalyst is see, and then it can live on. And then it, the seeing gives us context in time and what happened to make this sweet story work. So I think is a rediscovering of what, what, what your life really is. So it's seeing plus something. And I'll give you a, a, an example. Um, have you, I'm sure every listener has gone back and revisited something that has to do with a person. I've done it, you know, 1% of the time when I should have done it 100 times. Yeah, for every 100 times I've done it once. And my heart breaks thinking back because the people have passed and I can't go back and say, you did this. You were the catalyst. I would not be who I am. I would, this would not have happened if not for you. And if anybody's ever done that for you, you know, it's, it's almost unbearable. Uh, and so I've done that far too few. But when I have, it's marked me. And I'm changed. I am changed when I go back. My view of my own life and who they are, they could be a teacher 20 years later, 40 years later, and you get to see them in a different context as well. So I think seeing is about going back in time and doing that. You know, today I'm thinking about the sweet librarian in my elementary school. Her name is Mrs. Scott. And uh, I always thought about going back and seeing Mrs. Scott. I think she lived almost 100, but I never went back. And I, I shouldn't. And what, what a joy that would have been selfishly for me to understand it, but also for her to go back in time as well. So I think, I think that's what this is about, the seeing leading towards recordation, change, understanding what the real, the real catalyst is in life. That's all I have. Oh. What do you think, Charles? Seeing and, and, and recognizing, saw, Jesus saw him. What are your thoughts?
I'm trying to think of how to articulate where where I found myself. Um, I think Luke was undertaking to point out and invite us to experience the life of as as it was seen and experienced by this uh, by this Samaritan, and basically he was the one who was allowed to return to, to Jesus. The others, as far as we know, it was not a it was not a a, 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 a ten minute do over that somebody who was a a, a, a uh, what's the word? Somebody who was a <laughs> come on, find the word, Charles. The leper. Um, a, a hint to the you youngsters out there. You know, when you get older, you don't remember all the things that you thought you knew when you were. See, now my my phone is reminding me. Come on, Charles, stop that. So, um, I think I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'll, I'll, I'll muddle it up, and then it'll be worse than it is right now. Thank you. Thank you. Bill, what do you think? Is there a difference? What, why is the word saw given to us in this particular combination of verses? Uh, I think it is significant. It reminded me, Sarah, that Jesus's ministry and style of living invited all the human senses to be in play, seeing, hearing, touching, tasting. Uh, let them see who have eyes to see. And it, it drew me to uh, several passages, that, and I will quote them briefly, that, that illustrate how in the words of Jesus, seeing and healing are so interconnected. Matthew six twenty two, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Matthew thirteen fifteen, for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. <laughs> Seeing, hearing, linked to healing. And then Acts 28, 27, quoting Isaiah 16, for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Linking Old Testament, New Testament, um, the past and the, the present. Um, I I don't have much more to say other than I think it's profound that seeing, understanding, and healing, I think, in all the dimensions of healing, not just the physical healing from leprosy, but healing of relationships, self-awareness, awareness of the larger world, and then we'll get in your next question to gratitude. All are interconnected. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I, I'm reminded of what it feels like when you're the mom picking up a person at preschool. 
And the preschooler scans the faces, and then when they see you, their face changes. It lights up because they recognize you. So this sense of see, I see, I see a human, I see a face, I see a face, I see a mom. And suddenly there's an identity that goes with what I'm seeing visually. And it's because that person recognized me in the fullness of that. So it's not I'm just a a human and I can see you. There's an identity and an understanding that goes with the the visual representation that I'm encountering, that recognition. So it, it gave me pause to move between what's it like to see something and what it's like to recognize something. Very different feeling. Um, and the depth of understanding is like when we, when we see other people, they don't have identity. They don't have a life. They don't have a backstory. We don't understand the relationships they're working through. We don't see their physical problems or physiological challenges. We see people, 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 people. And then as we get to know someone, they move or transition to something beyond a single uh, physical understanding of who they are. So I I now then see Bill and your understanding of, of living the life that you're living with Sybil and how much I love you both. And Charles, I, I understand your affection for ice cream and I, I that resonated with me. And Don, you know, this 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 we have these so many common strands of 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 age, theater um, family and and those things all give me a better understanding or a deeper understanding of who you are, and that's what's interesting to me is there's one thing about seeing, and there's something altogether different about understanding, understanding the fullness of who you are, and I think we we're given that gift in this particular passage because Jesus sees the ten as the full range of humanity they are, and not just 10 people who are sick, not just a cluster of people who are unclean. He sees their their family and their connection and their, their the need for restoration, and he recognizes that. And I think that what's interesting is this one person recognizes Jesus for the same reasons and comes back in gratitude. So I found that very um, enriching and it challenges me to go look beyond the surface, find a a way in to understand a person. And, you know, I I've built my whole I guess operating existence around that idea that there's got to be something redeemable in every person, and and that may be a, a Pollyanna perspective, but um, I do look for the gifts that each person brings to cross my threshold. So. Um, that led me to question number three. Ten went to show the priest. When he saw he was healed, one turned back in gratitude, a Samaritan. Why do you think this one turned back to thank Jesus? This week has been a, a week of gratitudes for me. Um, sometimes disruptions in schedules cause me to feel out of step or out of sync. And um, a hurricane certainly does 
all of that and more. Um, and I found myself kind of relaxing into the idea of going back to work and looking forward to going back to work, which is kind of a an interesting idea. Um, but when I go back to work, I have an identity. When I go back to work, I have a ritual. I have a, a schedule or a process of things I do. And those all give me comfort and anchoring when the world has seemed chaotic. So I, I'm thinking about gratitude. I'm thinking about um, why did this one turn back? Why, why, why only one? Why did only one recognize the gift that Jesus had given them in such a way that they came back? to thank Jesus. And, and I, I, this isn't, for me, a never-ending exploration and gratitude. What do you think, Bill? Um, in the eyes of that society, uh, both Samaritan and Jewish, this person was a double loser. He was a Samaritan, and he had leprosy. And to me, gratitude is the capacity, on the one hand, to celebrate one's changed circumstances for this man. It's also the capacity to recognize that something or someone beyond one's own self enabled the changed circumstances. I think both of those are at play here. He recognized that his, the the Samaritan leper, that his healing was grace, uh, as we we would put it. And to me, this challenges our American bootstrap philosophy. I will pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Nobody pulls themselves up alone by their own bootstraps. And again, it reminds me, and we've been powerfully reminded with this storm, Ian, that we need each other. Um, When my wife and I were driving out of state to evacuate from a retirement community that's on Tampa Bay, Zone A, mandatory evacuation, we literally, on I-95 northbound, passed group after group after group of utility trucks headed south. And when we spent the night, a number of them were parked at our motel, and I talked to several of them, and they were talking about where they were going to be staged in Florida in advance to be ready to go and help. So uh, gratitude is the capacity to celebrate and to acknowledge that one doesn't do it by oneself. Thank you. Charles, what do you think? No? Don, I come to you. I, I think the ratio is about right for me, painful as it is to say. One out of ten. One out of ten times when I should be grateful. One out of ten times when I should thank people. One out of ten times where I should go back in time and meditate before I go forward about how I got here and what my life was built upon. I think I do it about one out of ten times. So just the math of the gospel here makes sense to me. Uh, for the Samaritan, uh, I don't know, you know, let's go ahead and assume he has a different path towards being reintroduced. I think he does. That's clear. Uh, I think it's also just practical. It's like, where else am I going to go? I got, 
I'm uh, no other gateways are needed. I'm going to Jesus. So there could be a meditation here on regulation, which is, you know, there's a two-stepper here for, for, for the rest of them. And for him, for good or bad, wh- what are you doing back here? What's going on? Why, do you, why are you doing this now? It's like, where, where, where else am I going to go? <laughs> you're, you're it. So just, just as I am and just as you are, here we are. So there's that common thing. And then uh, I think it's also a meditation on uh, wellness and the weight of the future. Uh, I think, Sarah, you're talking about what it is to be healthy and want to go back or the disaster is over and you want to get back to normalcy. And I think the weight of the future, the gravity of our sense of health and the power of the relationships of the future are overwhelming. That's why I'm one out of ten. Um, we're all different in what draws us into the future. You know, you got, If there's a crowded room with people I know and lots of unknown and People that I get to meet, I'm going to bowl. I'm going in. Even if somebody said, Don, there's a, there's a, your mentor from 20 years ago is in a small private room in the back and he wants to see you. And I'd be going, yeah, but I mean, come on, the future, all these people. You know, it's like getting ready to get in the car to go on a long trip. The train is ready. The plane is ready. It's all happy. I'm healthy. Let's go. The boat's ready to sail. The gangplank's ready. So one out of ten, and I think the power, the weight of the future sometimes strands the gospel, you know, and health is connected to that, which has got him moving on and on and on and on. And Christ is, you know, the God of moving forward, but he's also the God of coming and going. I come to you, I leave you, I come. And so I think this is, you've got to go back, you've got to collect yourself, you've got to meditate. So do this in remembrance of me, I think is a, is a, is a big part of this. Uh, and then my final note, Sarah, is you know, I, if I were making a movie or writing a screenplay about this, boy, I'd be challenged about, to your point, Bill, what does this Samaritan look like? I think I'd go out of my way for the 21st century viewer just to have kind of a general sameness and his otherness hovers, you know. And I would do it in a really shallow way, right, so that that just hovers there. And it, it allows the viewer to cock their heads and say, all right, they're all lepers together, and they're all healed together. But, aha, there's an other here, uh, and that he doesn't go and get certified. I'm just using regulation here. He doesn't go out and get certified means he doesn't have his papers. He's not authorized. Mm-hmm. He's here, but, and here comes the power of regulation, our role in democracy. You know, are we intentional about the rules and laws that we make because they're gateways and they're guardrails? And their boundaries, and there's another boundary. It's like, all right, he's let's use it unauthorized. He's healed, but he's illegal. He's healed, he's still not welcome. I would play around with that so that at least, you know, the viewer would kind of cock their heads, going, "Wait a minute, there's still something wrong here." That's what I got, Sarah. Oh, it's a beautiful thought, Don. You know, um, I'm, I picked up on two things I really appreciated: the gateway and the bridge. For the nine that that go to the priests, maybe that's their gateway and their bridge. But for this one, Jesus is their gateway and their bridge. Um, And and to his future, he needs Jesus. And that's um, an interesting juxtaposition when we think about one out of ten being grateful, one out of ten coming back, um, and, and... one out of ten seeking to go to church on Sunday 
one out of ten, um, seeking to be engaged in a dialogue with the enemy, whoever they are. Um, and and in the word enemy and, and the word um, politics might come to, to my mind about that. Um, the conversations are the bridge to change. And in this case, Jesus is the bridge to change. Um, what a great thought. What a great thought. Thank you. Um, and that's all I got today. I hope that your day is beautiful and well, and it's 63 degrees in Tampa, which is amazing. We're so excited to have a glimpse of fall. Even if it's faux fall, we're happy to have it. Well, uh, for those listening in, uh, a call for reflection and thanksgiving. Remember those who've helped us. And remember remember Jesus. Remember Jesus today. Uh, Almost see a Presbyterian church, which makes this discussion possible, is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you for communion, scripture, disagreements about scripture, discussions of scripture, outstanding sermons, beautiful music. So check that out. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.